In this episode of the St. Philip Institute podcast, we're going to start a new series on the season of Lent and the book of Exodus. So in this episode in particular, we'll talk about why the book of Exodus is so important during Lent and some of the ways that we can enter more deeply into its story to prepare for Easter. Please enjoy. Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we explore the sources of the Catholic faith, including the scriptures, the documents of the church, the teachings of the Second Vatican Council, and the lives and witness of the saints. St. John Paul II often said, Duke in Altum, set out into deep waters. And our goal here at the podcast is to help you do just that. We don't want to merely provide you with information. Instead, we seek to help you achieve a true transformation and to respond to the Lord's call in your life to live out the universal call to holiness. Hi, welcome back to the St. Philip Institute podcast. My name is Luke Arredondo. I'm the Director of Faith Formation here at the St. Philip Institute in the Diocese of Tyler. And we are kicking off um, a series of episodes um, here on the podcast specifically dedicated to the, seri- to the season of Lent. Um, and this uh, is an idea that I've kind of had for a while of trying to spend a little bit more time talking about Scripture, do a little bit more intentional work with the liturgical calendar. And so the result of that is going to be a series of episodes where um, I'm talking mostly about the book of Exodus during this season of Lent. So why do I want to do that? Well, I think every year uh, when we enter into Lent, um, Catholics can be just grabbing at everything. Have you ever seen someone in one of those uh, like game shows or whatever? They're inside a tube, and it's and there's just hundred dollar bills or twenty dollar bills floating around in the air. And they're, they're you try to catch all of them, and because you're trying to grab all of them, you know they the, the people can't find it. They don't know which ones to go for, and they wind up they walk out of there with a hundred bucks or something, which you know would be I guess cool to just get a hundred dollars. But there's so much more potential there. But they get distracted because there's too many good things. I think Lent can be like that for a lot of Catholics. For a lot of us, I know you know growing up, uh, I had no clue what would be a good use of my time during Lent. And the Church does commend us to uh, really try and deepen our spiritual life, especially um, in penance, but also in just, you know, good spiritual practices. So one option for you during this Lent is to follow us on this journey, um, looking at the book of Exodus. But it's not a random choice that I just said, well, how about the book of Exodus? Second book of the Bible doesn't get as much, you know, uh, fanfare as Genesis. No, actually, it's because... In the season of Lent, um, the Church is constantly pointing us in the direction of the book of Exodus. How does this happen? Well, I think the plainest way that this happens is that the whole point of Lent, the season preceding Easter, is to help prepare us to more deeply enter into and celebrate the Paschal Mystery. So the Paschal Mystery, right, is Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. And that's what we commemorate at the Easter Vigil every year, which is the most solemn liturgy of the entire um, liturgical calendar. And the Catechism describes the Paschal sacrifice this way. This is paragraph 613 from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Christ's death is both the Paschal sacrifice that accomplishes the definitive redemption of men through the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and the sacrifice of the new covenant, 
which restores man to communion with God by reconciling him to God through the blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In this one brief paragraph from the Catechism, you have a lot of clues being laid to the, to the, the idea that if we want to understand what Christ's ultimate mission is about, we have to understand it as a Paschal mystery. And the fact that we call it Paschal has to do with the term for Passover. And the way that we can understand Passover is to go really ground ourselves in the story of the book of Exodus. But there's not just the word Paschal. It's not just a single word, and that's why I say, oh, it's got Paschal, and that's the, you know, the book of Exodus. There's more to it. Um, the, the notion of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and if you're Catholic, you probably say that all the time. You go to Mass and you, you say those words. Why do we call Christ the Lamb of God? There's, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is because in the Passover, in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, there is a celebration of Passover through the uh, eating of the Lamb of God. So there's, there's a Lamb of God in the book of Exodus, in the original Passover, Christ is, in a way, the new Lamb of God, right? Who takes away the sins of the world in a definitive way in the new Passover. Then there's also, there, there's also this notion of the blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many. Um, now, if you are Catholic, you go to Mass regularly, you, you've heard that, that term all the time in the Eucharistic prayer, and that is true, that it is part of the Eucharistic prayer, and that's good. But it has roots in the book of Exodus, chapter 24, when the, new, when the covenant between Israel and God is ratified at Mount Sinai, right? So just in that one little paragraph, there's these three big clues about where the book of Exodus can help to inform us and, and deepen our understanding of what's happening in Christ's sacrifice. There's a lot more to be said, and that's why we're going to be spending several episodes talking about the story of the book of Exodus, explaining the, the, the rituals that are there, the history, the symbolism, and the way that it points forward to Christ, so that hopefully you can better and more deeply enter into the mystery of Easter, the Paschal mystery, um, at the end of this season of Lent, which is coming up uh, next week. Um, now, beyond, beyond just the fact that uh, there's, there's clues, <laughs> the Church is also not, not just giving us clues, but it's almost shouting at us in the liturgy throughout the entire season of Lent in different ways, okay? Um, so the first thing is, in the Liturgy of the Hours, and this is really the, the most significant way that the Church's liturgy grounds Lent in the book of Exodus, but... I think it's not—maybe it's not known by that many Catholics. Certainly a lot of Catholics pray the Liturgy of the Hours, but it's still a small percentage of, of, of Catholics that will pray the Liturgy of the Hours. And if you're praying the Liturgy of the Hours, but you're doing morning prayer or evening prayer or night prayer or something, you're not going to see nearly as much of the Book of Exodus during Lent as you would if you're doing the Office of Readings, which is really where the Book of Exodus during Lent um, is sort of the star. Um, so we get to read— Throughout, throughout Lent, I, I don't know if it's literally every verse in the book of Exodus, because I, I didn't go look carefully to, to track it down, but certainly a lot of the book of Exodus is read in the Office of Readings, and you not only get the book of Exodus itself, but you also get commentaries by church fathers, homilies by saints, you know, uh, church documents that refer to it to kind of help us see the deep connections there. So in the Liturgy of the Hours, which is the official public prayer of the Church, 
uh, the book of Exodus is the main star during Lent in the Liturgy of the Hours. But let's say, well, okay, you don't pray the Liturgy of the Hours or you don't do the Office of Readings. The Church is still going to feed us a steady diet of the book of Exodus through the Mass. So, for instance, on the third Sunday of Lent, there's a reading from the book of Exodus, the first reading. On the fifth Sunday of Lent, at least in this year, uh, it's not a reading from the book of Exodus. It's a reading from, I think, the prophet Joel, but he's describing the covenant that was made and broken in the book of Exodus. So it's not a reading from Exodus, but it's talking about the things that happened in the book of Exodus and what we have to do in light of that. Holy Thursday, uh, the first reading is from the book of Exodus. And this is maybe the most significant moment in a certain way of looking specifically at the idea of uh, the Passover. So you have the Old Testament reading on Holy Thursday focuses on Exodus 14, which is the Passover uh, of Israel, uh, you know, leaving from Egypt. And then the New Testament reading is the institution of the Eucharist. So the Church is trying to show us that if you want to understand the Eucharist, um, you really have to have a grounding in uh, the story of the Passover from the book of Exodus. Then in the Easter Vigil, one of the Old Testament readings is from the book of Exodus, and one of the sort of the Psalms that goes in between the readings is from the book of Exodus. So I feel like I'm saying the words the book of Exodus a bunch of times, um, but <laughs> it's because it is just littered throughout the entire um, church's liturgy during this season of Lent that we're about to enter into. And I don't know how many Catholics really have taken time to look at Exodus. Um, it is a, is a fascinating um, book of the Bible, uh, and there are a lot of things going on there. So what I'd like to do um, kind of today in this first episode is just kind of give a, a really broad over, overview or structure of, of what are the, the major themes happening in that book, and then in the, the later episodes that follow, to, to look a little bit more closely at a few of the specific episodes in the book of Exodus, so that, you know, we can a little bit more deeply enter into our preparation for the Paschal Mystery. And, and, and again, the goal is for us to be able to see, maybe with new eyes, when we get to that third Sunday, that fifth Sunday, Holy Thursday, and especially the Easter Vigil, to see more clearly the unity of Scripture and the way that Christ's sacrifice fulfills and transcends some of the realities present in the Old Testament. So that's kind of kind of the goal here. Now, um, one of the things that, that I think is worth mentioning is the fact that in the Old Testament, obviously, there are a lot of different stories and, and a lot of things that, that, that connect with the New Testament and that matter. Um, but in terms of Christ's ministry, his public ministry, one of the clearest ways to understand Christ and who he is, what his, what his purpose is, what his mission is, is to see him as the new Moses. If you've not read um, the Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, Volume 1. Uh, this is one of the ideas that he brings out time and time and time again, that is, if we, if we look at the gospel through Jewish eyes, we will see Jesus as a new Moses. And the significance of, of Jesus being a new Moses shouldn't be missed. Um, as, as I'm recording this uh, in, in late January, the, the, the last Sunday Mass that I went to, 
um, or maybe it was two weeks ago. I think I think it was just recently, the last Sunday. There was a reading from Deuteronomy, where uh, that the text says that there there will be after Moses another Moses. So it's the end of the book of Deuteronomy. The Israelites are preparing to enter into the promised land. Of course, Moses doesn't get to enter with them, but the text records that Moses, you know, was was this great prophet and that later there will be another Moses and that God will put the words of put the words into his mouth uh, and people will listen to him and that this new prophet will be like Moses and that he will see God face to face and in a certain sense he's going to be even greater than Moses because it's not going to be obscure Moses sees God and converses with him uh, but he doesn't really get to look on his face he doesn't get to see him face to face and the new Moses, who will be the sort of the Messiah figure for, for the Jews, is going to be even greater than Moses. Now, Moses does all these fantastic things in the Old Testament, right? In the book of Exodus, he is leading people through water, dry shot. He is causing all of the miracles of the plagues. He is bringing the manna uh, and, and water from the rock, and all of these things happen through Moses' ministry. The new Moses is going to be even greater. Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, said that Jesus is clearly portrayed in the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Matthew, as a new Moses, all right? So that means, in a certain way, for us to really understand who Jesus is, what he's about, we need to be grounded in a, a, a good concept, a good grasp, rather, of the story of Moses. And the Mosaic story is in the book of Exodus. So, how is Jesus a new Moses? That's one of the things I hope you'll be able to see throughout these episodes, and, and we'll really kind of pick up that theme in a very specific way in the, in the last episode. But let's think a little bit about the book of Exodus, sort of just kind of painting, painting a big picture, right? So the book of Genesis sets up the foundation of who God's people is. Um, so we have creation, we have the story of Noah, uh, well, Adam, then Noah, Abraham, Abraham is given a covenant, and one of the things that's promised to Abraham is that his people will have their own land, uh, but it is foretold in the book of Exodus that they will be in slavery for 400 years before they um, are set free and can enter into the promised land. At the end of the book of Genesis, we have um, all of the sons of, of Jacob, so there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then all of Jacob's sons. As we transition into Exodus, we see the story continuing because God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and the situation is that the Israelites are flourishing in Egypt. Uh, they, they're having many, many children. They're a very sort of very strong population. Uh, and the Pharaoh does not like that and wants to punish them. So they begin to experience this chastisement from um, sort of a secular ruler, right, Pharaoh. He enslaves them, and this is where Moses enters into the scene. So the, 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 the broadest thing that, that's happening um, in the book of Exodus, which literally means sort of the exit from or the way out of, is that the Israelites have got to get out. What do they have to get out of or, or escape from? Well, in a certain way, there is um, a situation they need to escape from, namely the slavery, the chastisement that they're experiencing, and there's a place that they need to escape from, right? So they've got to go from Egypt 
into the promised land that had been promised to them um, way back in the book of Genesis in the covenant that was made to Abraham. So they've got to get out. They've got to get out of slavery. They've got to get out of Egypt. And the way that they escape is by the ministry of a covenant and a covenant mediator, right? God has already entered into covenant with Abraham, and he's going to renew that covenant and in a way fulfill it and transcend it through the covenant with Moses. So a redeemer, Moses, is sent, right? He is given a special covenant, and through him, uh, he is able to work many miracles, right? You have all the ten plagues, uh, the, the final plague of the Passover, and then the crossing of the Red Sea. And finally, uh, the, the entrance into the Promised Land, which Moses doesn't participate in, but his sort of successor, Joshua, does, and in a miraculous way, he leads them through water. So you have the presence of crossing water, you know, with, with the mediator, the Red Sea to get out of Egypt, and then the Jordan to enter into the Promised Land. And along this way, there is a journey. Um, of course, it's 40 years uh, where manna is given as a gift, also quail. Don't forget about the quail. People uh, overlook the quail. And water. Um, and then this all culminates with an entrance into the Promised Land. As I was preparing for this episode, uh, one of the resources I was using to kind of try and tie all these stuff together uh, had, had a, a sentence I think it was really beautiful. It said, uh, we can see Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is the story of God creating the world as a place in which worship is going to take place. In other words, the ultimate goal of creation, right, uh, the, the, is to allow human beings to enter into relationship with God, and that relationship with God is expressed in a very powerful and important way through worship. So Pope Benedict, in, in one of his uh, books, uh, From the Beginning, or In the Beginning, I think is uh, the name of the book, talks about the Sabbath structure of creation, that creation is ordered toward that Sabbath day, and that Sabbath day is ordered to worship of God. So creation is ordered to the worship of God. So Genesis this commentary I was reading said, shows us God creating the world as a place in which worship can occur. So the garden is sort of the proto-sanctuary um, in the book of Genesis. And then if we, if we understand that to be the function of Genesis, what Exodus does is it gives us the creation of the people of Israel as a people of worship. So it's true to say that the Sabbath day is the day for worship, um, but it's a little sloppy when we say, you know, uh, on the seventh day God rested, and that's why we have the Sabbath day. It's, you know, it's a day of worship, uh, you know, day of rest. It is a day of worship, and it is a day of rest, but technically speaking, the law to worship on the Sabbath doesn't start until the book of Exodus. So it's in the book of Exodus where God's people more truly enters into this right worship of God. There is worship in, in Genesis, but the worship becomes more focused in uh, and through Moses' mediation in the book of Exodus. Um, and there's, there's kind of three really, really big themes uh, that you can look at in the book of Exodus. First is the notion of liberation. So the people of Israel are being liberated from slavery into freedom. And this is the kind of the immediate problem that they face at the beginning of the book of Exodus. They are being enslaved, and this is a, this is a terrible problem. 
As you'll see in the episodes that we'll, we'll, we'll go through here um, these next uh, few weeks in, in the Lenten season, the slavery is a problem, but the solution that is being sought is not just uh, we would like the slavery to end. Actually, the goal right from the beginning of the book of Exodus is freedom to worship. So the Israelites aren't just trying to get Pharaoh to ease up on them. They actually want to be relieved from some of their labor so that they can go out into the wilderness as part, you know, uh, outside of Egypt, outside of the city to worship God. Worship is the goal right away at the beginning of the book. Liberation is kind of the first step but worship is the final goal. So we have leg- uh, liberation, rather, is sort of the first big theme, and then legislation. So after the Israelites achieve their liberation, and that that takes a lot of stuff to go, <laughs> a lot of stuff has to happen for the Israelites to be free. Once that does happen, they receive the legislation or the law, the law for the covenant that they are going to renew um, and enact between them and Moses, or Moses on their behalf, you know, enacts this covenant with God. So we have liberation, getting out of Egypt, right, getting out of slavery. Then legislation, what are, what are the laws for the covenant, um, and, and how are they supposed to live? How is Israel supposed to live? And finally, the legislation ends with legislation for worship. So it all leads to liturgy, and in fact, the, the, the end of, of the Exodus is actually instructions for construction of the, of the tabernacle, um, which is the place for worship. And one of the commentaries I was reading said that essentially the book of Exodus aims at providing liberation from slavery so that the Egyptian or sorry that the Israelites can move into communion with God. And they can express that communion and, and, and deepen that communion precisely through the sacrificial worship of God in the tabernacle. So all of the, the particular things that are happening in the book of Exodus are aimed ultimately at the worship of the Lord. So the, the fundamental problem and concern for Israel is that they need to be able to worship. They have other obstacles that are preventing them from worship, but those obstacles aren't the primary issue. And so in order to solve the issue of we are not able to worship the Lord like we want, like we're supposed to, like we're being called to, uh, because of the slavery that we're experiencing is to seek liberation from that slavery so that they can then worship. So there's something kind of interesting here. I, I'm no uh, scholar of Hebrew, but one of the things that's, that's going on in the background um, in Hebrew is that they are, at the beginning of the book, the Israelites are serving or working for Pharaoh, but it's, it's a slavery that, that they're really, you know, uh, being engaged in or, or, or suffering. But the verb that describes their work or service of uh, Pharaoh is abad in Hebrew. And it's the same word that is used to describe the worship or service of the Lord uh, in the liturgy after they have experienced freedom from the slavery. So it's abad in either case in Hebrew, right? But the first kind of abad, that of serving or working on behalf of Pharaoh, 
is not good, right? That's not the goal. And Israel is trying to move from that kind of work or service um, to Pharaoh, which is really a, a form of slavery, to the work or worship of uh, the Lord, um, you know, through the covenant that is going to be established, and ultimately through the construction of the tabernacle. So what is, again, what does all of this have to do with Lent? Precisely this, during the season of Lent, more than any other time in the church's calendar, what we are being called to do is enter more deeply into the Paschal Mystery, which we will celebrate at Easter. And the Paschal Mystery is not merely Christ's work on the cross, that, that his, his suffering for us, his death on the cross, his resurrection, as though it were just a historical event. It is a historical event, but it's much, much more. It's both more after his death and, in a certain way, before. What I mean is that his Paschal mystery recapitulates and fulfills what came before it. And you see this in the Easter Vigil in a, in a really powerful way. All of salvation history is reconfigured in light of Christ. So you look at those readings from the Easter Vigil, uh, and it's you know the Old Testament, the main figures: yeah, Adam, Noah, Mo- Moses, you know, uh, and then the prophets, and it all is pointing towards Christ's resurrection. After Christ's resurrection, though, that, that, that work of his on the cross, that paschal mystery, continues to bear fruit in us and in the church, uh, and, and, and in a particular way, in our spiritual lives, right? Through the sacraments, through our prayer life, through our life of holiness, our life of virtue. So we're supposed to be preparing for the, uh, the recapitulation of the paschal mystery, and that means not just remembering Christ's resurrection, his, his passion and death and everything, but also the way in which that uh, ministry of Christ, that, that public witness, bears with it the signs of the, of the kingdom that came before him, right? The people of God and their journey um, through uh, the Exodus. And the fact that the Gospels show us Jesus as a new Moses— also means that it shows us that he is leading us on a new exodus. So where the old exodus is about a liberation from slavery, a feeding with the manna, and a journey into the promised land, the new exodus is about a liberation from slavery to sin, a liberation from death. We are fed not with the manna, which comes from the sky, but with the Eucharist, which is his body and blood, and we are sent on a journey with him, not to a earthly promised land or an earthly promised land, but rather to the eternal promised land of heaven. And so I, I really want to encourage you to um, not, not just follow these episodes, but, but really dig into the book of Exodus during this Lenten season. Study the book, follow along, uh, because when you see those things clearly, and especially if you've been reading them kind of leading up to Easter, I think it's been my experience, I hope I think it would be your experience as well, you'll see the Paschal mystery more profoundly. Um, you'll, you'll in, in a way, be able to appreciate the way in which Christ's ministry, his passion, death, and resurrection sort of reverberates and has echoes of all that led up to it, and in, in that way continues to, to carry us forward um, in our own life. So that's 
you know, really summing up sort of what, what we're after here in this series, what the book of Exodus is about sort of on a, on a broad scale. Um, and then in the episodes that follow, we'll look at more particular cases. We'll read passages from the book of Exodus, talk about them, and, and highlight the way that those events lead us to a greater understanding of the Paschal mystery of Christ. So I hope you enjoyed this first episode, and I invite you to follow along for the rest, and hope that this is a blessing to you as you prepare for Lent. Thank you.